Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of Revelation. We are currently in chapter 1 at verse 1. Hello, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 1 of the book of Revelation where it says this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants, the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy, and heed the things which are in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us, and released us from our sins by his blood. And he made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So we begin this very mysterious book, and to some a very scary book, to others a very intriguing book, and to others just a book to be ignored because uh, uh, you can't understand it anyway. And uh, there's so much controversy that uh, uh, no one wants to get involved in it. Uh, So we are embarking on this book, and uh, we begin, of course, with this prologue, and uh, that is included uh, in those first eight verses that we just now read read, uh, to you. Uh, that, uh, That includes an introductory set of remarks, you might say, kind of like a banner over the entire book, and then a salutation in verse 4. And um, as it uh, goes, it seems as though that uh, uh, the book of Revelation uh, is an epistle in some regards because it takes that shape, it takes that form, at least in verse 4, where uh, John says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, that is uh, a a letter form, and uh, that's the salutation there. But before we get into that, uh, the title or the banner over this entire book uh, has this particular phrase, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That word revelation in the Greek uh, sounds like one of our English words. It sounds like our English word apocalypse. And in fact, that is uh, the source of our English word apocalypse. It comes from uh, that uh, Greek word. And it doesn't really mean what we use it to mean. Most of the time, we use it to scare people uh, because it's a scary
very thing, perhaps. Uh, and uh, there have been many books and movies and and uh, TV shows and all sorts of things talking about uh, the post-apocalyptic world, and and uh, that usually entails quite a quite a large tragedy. And uh, most of the time, it's a global thing. But uh, but that's not exactly the original intent behind the term itself when it was used by John here. It literally means the unveiling. And uh, just as in a grand piece of art or uh, sculpture or or even just a, a home remodel, sometimes there is a revealing. There is this idea that uh, somebody comes along and unveils this thing uh, that no one has seen. And uh, that's exactly what's uh, going on in this book. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of John the divine. It's the revelation of Jesus, the Messiah. And uh, that is exactly uh, what this book is all about. It is a revealing. It is not about destruction, uh, even though we find some there in there. And uh, it's not necessarily about judgment, even though we will find uh, lots of that in there as well. It's all about revealing the Lord Jesus, unveiling who he truly is. And um, we, we have seen him in his character while he dwelt and lived on this earth uh, Temporarily, and we heard his words, and we saw him. Uh, John even wrote uh, one book about that. <laughs> it was it was in the gospel. Uh, that uh, carries the name, even though the gospel book itself that carries that name, uh, he he doesn't ever use his own name in that book. Uh, he remains anonymous in many regards, and he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. But here, uh, John says, this is the revealing of Jesus Christ, and uh, uh, which God gave him to show to his bondservants. So this is this is like a chain reaction, so to speak, of this revelation. God God gave it to his son and uh, uh, to Jesus Christ. Notice that that uh, John uses both of these titles or both of these names. Uh, Christ is not the last uh, last name of Jesus. Christ is a title that comes from the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, and that's the uh, the Greek word is Christ, but the Hebrew word would have been Messiah. And he's still called both Messiah and Jesus by John here at the beginning of this book as this banner, this title over the book. And uh, uh, you see, he didn't he didn't drop the name Jesus just because he was the Messiah. In fact, even in his uh, resurrected state, even in his resurrected, glorified, ascended uh, realm where he sits at the uh, right hand of the majesty, he is still called Jesus. Jesus the Messiah. He still retains the name that the angel gave to his mother and his father to name him on earth as Jesus. And of course, they knew him as Jesus of Nazareth. But here, uh, he's still the same Jesus. And uh, a lot of people want to separate uh, Jesus from the Messiah or Jesus from the Christ spirit or, or Jesus from the Son of God spirit. And that is not at all the case. He remains his own own identity even through the rest of eternity. And uh, so we will be uh, recipients of a new revelation of uh, who he is in his glorified state uh, as, as the resurrected Lord, as the risen Messiah, 
and as one who will one day return. It says, which God gave to him to show to his bondservants. This is for anyone uh, that that uh, qualifies as a bondservant, the things which he, which must soon take place. Now, the word soon uh, is is not uh, an absolute kind of a description. It it means it's coming, uh, it's coming, uh, but uh, we don't know when. And that's exactly the way we should be. We should be anticipating that uh, this thing is going to be played out, um, uh, maybe even within our own generation. I believe it was written that way in such a fashion so that the first generation should should live their Christian life in that same anticipation. And so that every generation that comes after the first uh, uh, set of believers, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that that every generation will anticipate that it could be that generation that uh, becomes the recipients of Jesus's return. And uh, so we live with that. We live with that uh, and we pass it on uh, to the next set of believers who come along in the next generation. And um, so, so he says, the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John. So this is this is a step by step revelation, and it ends up in 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 uh, in John's hands, so to speak. It ends up being a part of John's written record of what was revealed to him by the Son, and 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 uh, that revelation comes from God the Father, and he goes on to say. Uh, that it's communicated by his angel. And uh, so there's an angelic... intermediator there that uh, that takes what God has revealed to the Son, and the Son reveals it, and uh, the this angel reveals it to John directly. We don't have a name for this angel, although uh, angels have uh, from time to time taken on that responsibility of revealing things from God to the prophet, and uh, exactly uh, that's what happened to Daniel, it's what happened to Zechariah, and others in the Old Testament that, uh, that there was some sort of angelic messenger that communicated this. This is not just a feeling or a or a, uh, in, in this case, it's not just a vision, even though there, there may be visions along the way. It has to do with communication. It has to do with things that can be talked about. It can be communicated. And it's not, uh, not just uh, some ethereal emotion. It's, it says then, who testified to the word of God, and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. So John is in the business of continuing to carry on the the uh, the role of a prophet, and in this case, the role of an apostle. But uh, he's also um, uh, doesn't necessarily use that term here. He just calls himself a bondservant, and and yet he is communicating in such a fashion as to reveal the things that has have been given to him. And he has a track record, so to speak, in the fact that he's already written books, and especially one book that has to do with the life and the ministry of Christ. And he began that book uh, with uh, certain references to uh, Jesus being the Word of God. And uh, and it says, uh, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And so, um, so this is what John has written, is the things that he saw. 
Now, uh, this is a contrast between Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4. The angel Gabriel told uh, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. But John is told here uh, in this book, uh, toward the end in uh, chapter 22, verse 10, it says, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. So there's a, a, a separate kind of responsibility that John has that may Maybe Daniel didn't have about revealing revealing it to, to people and communicating it in such a fashion as to open up the word of God, open up the testimony of Jesus Christ. And he says, blessed is he who reads. This is, this is uh, based, by the way, uh, not just on uh, sitting and reading and having your quiet time, although oh, you can uh, take that prom- promise that way, but this is in the cultural context that this is the way the churches operated. Uh, because they didn't have copies of God's word and they wouldn't have had more more than one copy of this particular book. Uh, That meant the the one person had to read it and everybody else had to discuss it after he finished reading it and they had to absorb it. And uh, so this is actually an instruction about the, the way the services were carried out. And he says, blessed is he who reads it and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written needed in it for the time is near. So this is a promise right off the bat. It is a promise that no other book of the New Testament gives that there is a blessing come from the very reading and the hearing of the words of this prophecy. We'll be back right after this. begin now in verse 4 of Revelation chapter 1, where John is addressing and saying, John, to the seven churches who are in Asia. Asia, by the way, in that day would have been uh, what we now know of as, uh, as generally the uh, the geography of Western Turkey. And so, so these seven churches, we're going to get them by name here later on uh, in future episodes. But for right now, this is the, uh, the context that uh, gives us the impression that this entire book was written to those seven churches, not just the individual letters that we can read uh, in chapters two and three, but the entire book was written to all seven churches, and uh, John seems to assume that this is going to be copied and passed around among all of those seven churches, and so that each one would get to read about what Jesus has to say to each one of the others. And uh, that's an intriguing thought in many ways. Now, uh, uh, before I continue on with this passage, I just want to get to the fact that he says, for the time is near, that was in verse 3, and he also says um, in verse 1 about things which uh, must soon 
take place. What's interesting is the Bible holds this in in sort of a a, um, a tension, and if if you want to use that kind of uh, word, uh, in First Peter chapter four verse seven, it says, "The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer." In and also in James chapter five verses seven through nine, uh, James has in interesting instruction. He says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits until the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, uh, until it gets the early and the late rains. Uh, You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. So James paints the this picture that it's coming soon, that it is near, that the judge is standing at the door, and yet at the same time that uh, that, uh, that James is living with this anticipation that it it is about to happen, yet at the same time, uh, out of out of the same breath, so to speak, he uh, he says to be patient because it isn't coming immediately, but it will come, and we are to anticipate that it could happen at any time. Uh, In fact, uh, uh, John said in his first epistle, chapter 2, verse 18, children, it is the last hour. So this entire, if you want to consider the last 2,000 years, um, uh, it is all called the last hour, according to to John himself in his his, uh, first letter. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared from this we know that it is the last hour. So he said from the beginning in the in the first century, John knew that it was the last hour because the spirit of Antichrist were raising up several Antichrists all around in different locations. And uh, he knew that that was the anticipation, that this was the last hour. And uh, so it continues to be the last hour for 2,000 years. Uh, That isn't a deception. That is the anticipation. That is that constant uh, uh, living with the expectation that it could be Uh, within our generation. So John says to the seven churches that are in Asia, and he he addresses them like a letter would be, similar to uh, the Apostle Paul and the way he wrote letters to churches. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Notice that, that he uses um, a description about each one of uh, the Trinity, or you might call it to each person in the triune God, uh, might be a better way of explaining it. That is, uh, this comes from the Father, who was, and that is, who is and who was and who is to come. That is a sort of a play on uh, the same idea that comes out of Exodus when uh, God told Moses, uh, I am who I am. And uh, it's the same uh, thing, except it's just worded differently. And uh, then he says, he talks about from the seven spirits. Now, these are not distinct spirits from each other, but rather it seems as though that uh, 
this is this is referring to seven aspects of that same spirit and that is the spirit of god the holy spirit we call him uh, these days and uh, uh, they he used to be called uh, when the king james bible was uh, uh, prominent he used to be called the holy ghost and in some circles he still is called that but uh, in this case it is referring to the fact that this is the Holy Spirit uh, and he has revealed in seven different uh, aspects, you might say. And that's what's going on here. is in uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. Uh, we find it spelled out in some ways. Uh, the Spirit of God, um, in uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, it says, the Spirit of the Lord, there is one description, uh, will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom, there's number two. And understanding, there's number three. The Spirit of counsel, that's number four. This And strength, there's number five. The Spirit of knowledge, that's That's number six, and the fear of the Lord. That's number seven. So all seven of those aspects are found in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse two. And uh, uh, I believe that uh, that is what John is referring to here by referring to it this way. Uh, And uh, just so you know, uh, uh, there is a a principle involved in in looking at the book of Revelation and in order to understand it the best way possible. We need to understand that the book of Revelation is sort of like the the mouth of a big river, like the Nile, or in our case, like the Mississippi. The mouth of the Mississippi carries water in it at the mouth. uh, uh, that, that, That water has its source and it has its content. It has its chemistry, you might say, that it can find its source in dozens of tributaries and uh, all up uh, Central America, that is uh, North America, and uh, and th- those tributaries all feed into the um, the Mississippi River, and so they are all composited when they exit the mouth of the Mississippi into the Gulf of Mexico. Well. That's sort of what we have in the book of Revelation. In order to best understand this book and the words of this book and the ideas of this book is to go back to find the tributaries. And that's what I just now did. I found a tributary that seems to contribute to the uh, the phrasing that John uses there and uh, and what he uses as as being called the seven spirits. But they're not individual spirits. They are the same Holy Spirit in seven different aspects. And we get that from Isaiah. And we'll find that a lot. We'll find Daniel being referred to in this book. Um, Isaiah is quoted many, many times. And uh, Jeremiah uh, and, uh, and, and uh, excuse me, Ezekiel and Zechariah. Uh, there are lots of different passages and things that find their source in Old Testament verses. In fact, uh, um, out of 404 verses in the book of Revelation, there are 278 of them that either refer or allude to prophecy already in existence in the ancient 
Jewish authors, uh, and uh, this book just amplifies it more. Uh, so, uh, so this is the way we need to understand that, and we need to uh, uh, study that as a as a kind of principle in which we approach these words on this page in this book. We we uh, constantly go back to where those sources might come from and find out uh, from th- those sources uh, what it might mean. And from Jesus Christ, it says the faithful witness. Notice that, that John is accrediting Jesus himself as being a testimony of God the Father. And that's exactly what Jesus said uh, to his disciples when he was here on earth. He's, he also calls him the firstborn of the dead. That means he's the first who was resurrected and ascended and glorified into heaven. That is uh, his qualification as being the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. That means he is in control. And he is in control even from the beginning of this book until the end of this book. He is in control from the fact that he has he has uh, risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is still in control. Uh, there's maybe a lot of things that we don't understand, but that is still the position and the role and the status that John accredits to Jesus the Messiah, to him who loves us and released us from uh, from our sins by his blood. This was his death that released us from our sins. He was our substitute. He took the penalty. And it was his blood that did so, uh, not in some sort of a mystical way, but in the sense that he shed his blood. That meant he died a, uh, a violent death, an unnatural uh, death. Uh, that was a judgment. That was an execution kind of death. And that was in order to cleanse us from our sin, release us from the penalty of our sins. And he says, uh, and he uh, made us, verse 6, um, to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. So God has worked a work in his son to bring us to him, to release us from the penalty of our sin, and to release us from even the power of our sin. And he has made us uh, as a result to become priests. We are believer priests. By becoming a believer in Jesus, we also become a priest of God and uh, of his kingdom. It says to him be the glory, the dominion forever and ever. This is what will last is Jesus's reign on earth. He will return. In fact, that's what it says. Uh, after the amen of verse 6, he says, Behold, he, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all who... Uh, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, so it is to be. Amen. And uh, notice that that here is is a quotation from from other verses in other places in the in the Old Testament. That uh, that behold, he is coming. That comes from Daniel chapter seven, uh, verse thirteen. That's the title of our our uh, entire series through this book of Revelation is Behold, He is Coming. And it comes from from, uh, that part of Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. And he goes on to say that even those who pierce him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. That is uh, sourced in uh, Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. Uh, We find that referred to for the first time. Zechariah prophesies that the Messiah will return to Mount 
Mount Zion, and the tribes of the earth will mourn over him whom they have pierced. That's exactly the description of the way Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And it was prophesied. It it finds its tributary of being predicted a hundred of years before it uh, occurred in the time of the Roman Empire. It continues on. It says in verse 8, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, later on, uh, Jesus himself, the Son of God, takes on this title. But right now, in this opening remark, John is giving this title, or actually, he's recording the fact that the Lord God has said this about himself. The Father says he is the Alpha and the Omega. And uh, Alpha and Omega, by the way, in the Greek language, is the beginning letter of the alphabet in the Greek language, as well as the ending letter of the alphabet in the Greek language. And so it would be uh, similar to us saying in the English language, A to Z. Do you realize that God is not confused about the human language? In fact, he uses the alphabet of the Greek language to identify himself. That means he is in control of language. He can say the things he wants to say in any language on earth and uh, he is, uh, can be accurate in what he has to say. He is articulate in what he has to say, and we can trust it to be the truth. Thank you, Father, for these words. Thank you that we can read them and be blessed. We can hear them and be blessed. We can heed them and be blessed. Thank you for those blessings. In Jesus' name. Amen. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.